Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions in critical times. Here's your host, Bill Kelly. Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast, critical discussions for critical times. Glad you're with us today. I'm your host, Bill Kelly. This is not a new issue that we're going to delve into today. It's an ongoing issue, and I'd like to say that in the three or four years that we've been dealing with it, we've seen some steady progress. Uh, I'm not so sure that's really the case. We're talking about housing and affordable housing because they are very much uh, meshed together. Uh, Latest numbers that have come out here in the province of Ontario today from Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, CMHC, uh, says that the uh, Ford government has failed to meet its own housing targets for 2023. Those are the hard numbers here. And uh, to talk about this and to talk about what we need to be doing going forward here, we are so pleased to welcome to the podcast uh, an old radio friend of ours who was with us many, many times during those discussions. He is Mike Collins-Williams, who is the uh, CEO of the West End Home Builders Association. Mike, great to have you with us again. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Great to be here. Uh, Happy New Year to you and uh, and all your listeners. And uh, yeah, excited for a conversation about housing. Well, let's let's get right into this. And I know that the initial headline here today and the way some people have already spun it on social media and some of the posts I've already seen, is say, there goes the Ford government again, you know, making promises that they can't keep. And yeah, okay, there's an element of truth to that. But if we get right down to the bottom line here, uh, we're not reaching the targets that we want to be. And, and I guess the question to ask is, well, whose fault is it? Uh, is it the federal government? Is it the provincial government? Is it municipal governments? Uh, I would submit that the answer is all of the above. Uh, what's your read on this? You know, the targets that they set were pretty ambitious targets. Um, The provincial government set a 1.5 million target over 10 years. And if you look at the history of Ontario, we've never come close to that in any 10-year period. So the target itself um, was ambitious. uh, And I think it's still a relevant target to try to reach, given the housing crisis we're in and, and the incredible population growth that we're experiencing. In terms of blame, I, I don't like to point fingers. I, I think um, all levels of government uh, share somewhat. Um, there's, of course, the Bank of Canada as well, which is yeah. um, you know uh, independent from the federal government, and, and that plays a significant role. And I even say for the industry I represent, um, we have skilled trade shortages. We have our own challenges uh, with productivity, et cetera. So all of us need to do better. All of us need to work better together uh, to achieve these targets. Is there a coordination? I mean, you've talked to us many times in the past about having to work together, all three levels of government, the, the trades. I mean, this this is this is not a simple issue. It's a very complex issue, as you said, with uh, with so many players that are involved in this right now. Uh, I'm getting the sense when I talk to all of them individually, in, including home builders, and uh, there's a great sense of frustration here. They want this to happen. Uh, they all think that they're doing everything they possibly can, and and they're looking around and saying, "Why isn't it happening? What, what's your read?" Now, and, and again, you know, the easy thing here is to look at these numbers and say, "Okay, the you know, the f- numbers that the Ford government was proposing may be a little overly ambitious," uh, but it's. <laughs> If, if we're looking back on 2023, and I don't want, don't want to get too deeply into the Ford government's performance here, uh, it wasn't a very good year for them. Uh, you know, just uh, uh, things that they wanted to have happen didn't happen. Uh, there are challenges. There's a, a RCMP investigation into into one of them with Greenbelt, etc. Uh, I, I know that there's supposed to be a process and a procedure here, uh, and it just seems as if we're spinning our wheels here. There's nobody here that doesn't think this is a problem, but are they treating it with the with the uh, the the, the I think the urgency that we really need here. I think all levels of government really do recognize that there's a problem. So, um, you know, that's the first, the first step is recognizing you've got a problem. Um, so that is 
positive. Um, and I do think that despite different partisan stripes, um, that all levels of government are, you know, it's never perfect, but they're trying to work together. Um, you know, there's the usual friction that you have between the province and the federal government and with municipalities. And look, Ontario is not alone. Uh, Ontario's housing starts dropped 7% between uh, 2002 and two, uh, sorry, between 2023 and 2022. Quebec's down 33%. BC's down 11%. So this isn't an Ontario specific problem. Um, with the population growth Canada's experiencing, we brought in well over a million people last year, which, you know, we've never really done before. Um, and half of that, over half a million are landing in Ontario every year. So there are a lot of challenges in terms of keeping up with the population growth, uh, let alone starting to get ahead of it to deal with the affordability issues. Um, so I think all levels of government do recognize that there's a problem, but we need to do a hell of a lot more to address the problem. Um, we can't keep doing things the way that we used to or playing around at the margins. Uh, this requires a complete paradigm shift. And, you know, you mentioned some of the challenges with the provincial government over the last year. In some ways, we've lost a year in terms of progress. I, and, and by the way, those issues, for the most part, have not been resolved yet. So we don't know how much longer they're going to have an impact on, on what needs to happen here. Uh, but it, it does have, a, I think, a negative impact on one of the major questions that has to be asked here, Mike, is, okay, we need to build. Agreed? Yeah, okay, we're all agreed. Where are we going to build? That seems to be a very contentious point, especially here in Ontario. Uh, do we expand the green belt? Do we expand urban boundaries? Do we reduce the green belt? Uh, different people and some of those different players that you just talked about have very, very different opinions on on what that answer is. I don't necessarily think we need to go into the green belt. You know, perhaps there's some small parcels that could be looked at, but overall, um, that is not the issue. Uh, however, the urban boundary issues, that's, you know, it's not just a Hamilton issue. We've talked to about it before. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's Ottawa, there's Waterloo, there's areas in York region, Durham region. Um, all of these were rolled back in the fall and, and we're sort of at square one again. And, you know, when those boundaries were originally expanded a year ago, um, you know, that was when we had half a million less people in Ontario. Um, we can't fit in half a million people each and every year through intensification only. Uh, we do need more land. That is sort of the the raw product uh, in terms of housing. Um, but beyond that, you, you mentioned contentious issues. You know, most applications uh, for a new tower, for a new mid-rise building, you know, some of them do sail through. I, I will give credit to um, a number of municipalities that are processing these high-density applications. But a lot of them take a long time. A lot of them end up in the courts at the Ontario Land Tribunal. Um, so there, there is frustration from the industry when we're told that we can't uh, build new communities in urban boundary expansions and then turn around and try to bring forward towers along transit lines. And there's just as much pushback. The reality is we need to grow in three different ways. We need to grow up with taller towers. We need to uh, along transit. We need to grow in through changes within existing communities. That means, you know, not towers on uh, residential streets, but triplexes, quadplexes, uh, more housing options in those communities. And yes, we do need to grow out with strategically located boundary expansions where we can put in servicing. Some years ago, and, and our radio listeners, of course, would know that I, I was on Hamilton City Council for 10 years. Uh a lot of that time as the chairman of the planning committee. So I, I saw a lot of this stuff and we dealt with an awful lot of this stuff. 
Uh, and I found it to be a very educational and sometimes frustrating experience. I get that. But the basic theory and, and maybe formula, Mike, that, that we seemed to work on back in those days was, to your point, uh, you know, you build uh, high rises on the major arteries, uh, and then it, then you've got multi-residential, and then you've got single-family residential, usually in the inner part of a community like that. And uh, it seemed to work for us, And it's but it's if, if we got away from that sort of thing right now, uh, because we're in a rush now and say, okay, we just got to kind of throw all the rules out, uh, which can be problematic. And I think that's one of the reasons why some of these things are so contentious. But there, there is a methodology that can be followed here for communities, isn't there, as to what goes where? Typically, and, and you know, I, I struggle with sort of continuing to do things the way we did things in the past. Our population growth in Ontario has more than doubled. Um, we used to bring in a couple hundred thousand people a year, you know, in the 90s the first decade of the 2000s up until about 2015, 2016. And, and then the population uh, growth pressure started increasing. And then post-pandemic, we've been bringing in half a million people a year um, in Ontario. That's basically the size almost of Hamilton. We're adding each and every year. The old way of doing things is not going to work. Uh, the reality is that neighborhoods and communities are going to change. Uh, we are going to see taller towers in communities throughout Ontario, especially along transit lines. Um, I think the entire Lakeshore Go corridor, 10, 15 years from now, you're going to see big towers, uh, downtown Hamilton, along all the transit stops in Burlington, Oakville, etc. Um, and, and some cities are going to have to expand. And, and you mentioned your time on planning committee. We have a bizarre system in Ontario and in other jurisdictions as well, where there seems to be this sort of concept of a neighborhoods get existing neighborhood neighbors get to veto whether or not they want new neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, that just can't continue in the future. Um, you know, uh, Toyota, Honda, Ford do not need a political approval every time they build a new car. Um, the bakery down the street does not need an approval when they. Um, you know, bake a new loaf of bread because they've got some more customers. We have a system uh, in which virtually every single new home, apartment, et cetera, needs to go through a multi-year process where ultimately politicians um, whom are not elected by the future residents of that neighborhood, they're elected by the existing residents who typically like things just the way they are. Um, and we, we have a situation in which the local interest is not necessarily in the broader public interest. And that's why we're in a housing crisis. Well, look at I saw that dozens and dozens of times, and I know it's still going on. Uh, and 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 to your point, uh, for for some of the listeners who may not be fully aware, like I say, if if uh, you know if, if Mike Collins wants to build a, a high rise, uh, the neighbors will get together, and there's usually a public meeting held by the councilor of that area. And if an overwhelming majority of them say we don't want that there, invariably the councilor will vote against it because he wants to get or she wants to get reelected. You know, I'm not going to piss off a whole bunch of people there. I know this is what the plan says. I know this is what we should be doing, but I kind of want to see some lawn signs up there the next election with my name on them. Uh, and I'm going to do that. And I've seen councillors do that. And what that does, of, of course, is, first of all, it stifles the growth. It frustrates the builders. Uh, and if you do go through the, uh, the appeals process, as you just mentioned, uh, that drags it on for the longest time and, and nothing gets done as a result. So I guess the, the overarching thing I wanted to ask you about here, and you've seen this in your experience, and, and I'm laying it right out there, and I'm not just saying Hamilton Council or Burlington Council, I've seen different councils. There's got to be some political courage. Everybody acknowledges this is a crisis, but very few people have the courage to do what needs to be done because they're afraid of the pushback. 
Yeah, my background, I'm I'm an urban planner, and mm. um, you know, we still need to have good planning. We still need to allocate the growth where the servicing is or where it's easy to build new servicing and, and target that growth where there's transit, where there's um, road access, et cetera. So we still need to have good planning, but good planning doesn't necessarily mean the neighbors don't like it. Um, and where we get into the politics here, and you've articulated it well, and I'm very empathetic to local councillors. You know, they've got to put their name on the ballot, serve the public, uh, and go out there every four years and, and try to get enough votes to win. Um, but it is a challenge with this amount of growth and uh, with the political dynamic of, of, you know, people don't love change. And for better or for worse, yeah. new housing, planning, development, um, I'm in the business of change. Um, you know, what would be ideal is I think having more of the structure set out by the province or the federal government because those politicians they're a little more distant from the cut and thrust of the day-to-day politics that happens at the local level um when decisions are being made entirely at the local level you get that local interest versus the public interest and you know we have young people who are not able to afford to live in hamilton burlington etc they're moving further and further away they're commuting vast distances um, young people, some of your listeners on this podcast, they're delaying getting married. They're delaying having children. They're living in their parents' basement until their mid-30s. Um, this is a crisis in terms of um, uh, this, the makeup of our society and how people are living their lives. Or in terms of jobs and economic developments, um, you know, cities really are labor markets. And if young people who have university or college degrees Uh, and are aspiring to have a career in, you know, path X or Y, but they've got to move to Sarnia or Collingwood instead of living in Hamilton and Toronto where the jobs are. I mean, it it, it really affects their life path. Well, and and therein lies the problem. And I'm not laying this totally at the feet of, of municipal councils, but as you say, they do play a major role in this and as to what needs to be built and where it needs to be built. Uh, and and I, 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 I totally agree with what you're saying here. You're in the, the change business, but so should elected officials be in the change business. Um, God help us if we're going to elect people who simply say, status quo, we don't need to improve anything here. Uh, we're just going to you know listen to that person and listen to that person, not build anything here that you guys don't really want. Uh, that's not the way that you move forward. I mean, if you're always looking in the rearview mirror, you're not going forward. And, and it goes back to that political courage element of this thing. But at the same time, you're absolutely right. There's got to be uh, a formula and a sense of cooperation. I mean, just before you and I started the podcast today, uh, the prime minister was at New Brunswick making another announcement about funding for housing. Great. That's good to know that commitment's there. But let's see the shovels in the ground. And I think that's one of the things that I'm finding because I, I know an awful lot of the developers and builders, uh, and, and they're frustrated right now because they want to get shovels in the ground. And they're and they're getting held up by processes or by city councilors, and uh, it's it's got to be a very frustrating circumstances. And you've got people sitting there who are victimized by this, as you say, they're they're not moving on with their lives because they need a place to live. Uh, you know, and I look at this, and and long before your time and mine, uh, post World War II, uh, you know, when everybody came home and everybody started having families again, houses went up. They just got it done. I mean, that was a crisis, and they didn't have near the resources we did now, but they made it work. And I'm frustrated, and I know you are, that we're not doing the same thing to the same level now. Yeah, you know, we've done it before. We should be able to do it again. Um, but for better or for worse, it's it is a tough political environment, and it's not just housing. It's it's tough to get sure. 
major infrastructure projects built. Uh, it, it's tough to um, build hospitals and schools. It's, um, you know, for better a construction of any type, the, the long approvals process, the number of environmental assessments, et cetera, um, it's, it's difficult in this country to get things built. Um, there's the process, and, and the process is costly. You know, when you've got a gazillion consultants and lawyers um, as part of the process to get new housing built, um, all of that gets put into the cost of housing. Uh, and we also have a situation across Canada um, where the level of taxation on housing, it's its like booze and cigarettes. So when you buy a new home, between 25 and 30% of that is straight up taxes. Uh, the federal GST, the provincial component of the HST, land transfer tax, development charges, community benefits charges, cash in lieu of parkland. There is a a litany of charges um, that you know it, it's literally twenty five to thirty percent of the cost of a new home or a new condo is is straight up taxes to all three levels of government. A couple of other things that you touched on here, and we're getting into process. Uh, is change means there's going to be some people who are going to be uncomfortable. A lot, of, as you mentioned, I think it's human nature that many of us do resist change, but apply it uh, to, to practical situations here. I mean, you know, I, I was born and raised in Hamilton and when I was just a young pup, uh, you know, we, we had a house, uh, not too far from the brow. I know, you, I know, you know, the area quite well, uh, and the city limits back then, the Southern city limits were just past Mohawk road. It was, it, that was it. I mean, there was not a whole lot of, of, of residential properties on the mountain at that time. Uh, then I got older into high school. The, the city limits moved out just past Rymel road. I moved to Rymel road and there, Bingo, there's the city limits. I can see it right there. Those are the tension towers. And it's expanded through Glenbrook now. Uh, and, and you know, an awful lot of the people that are resisting this change have to realize that, you know, their farmland, that, that area in which they're living right now is probably farmland at one time. Uh, but there has to be growth and there's going to be change like that. Uh, and for people to simply say, well, you know, you're, you're bastardizing the whole process. Anybody who gets to the point where your application or my application to build a development or a, any kind of a building like that gets to the city council level, it's already been vetted by 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 people like you that are in the planning business uh, and others. And you know, in other words, there's a box, a whole list of boxes that they have to check. And if you don't meet those standards, you don't get that far. So, and and people don't know that because they're busy with their lives. They don't pay attention. They don't go through that process. But but it, I, I I get frazzled when I hear some people simply saying, well, I don't want that there. Uh, you know, what were these guys thinking? And and I've seen the same sort of thing too, where, you know, they get their house built and then they say, I don't want anything else around me. I don't want high rises around me. Well, that's going to happen. Um, uh, you know, and we have to, I think, first of all, respect the process and respect that there are others that are looking after that. You know, the, the people that, that don't want to see urban boundary expansion, no way, shape or form at all, period, end of sentence, uh, don't seem to understand that there are other people that want to live in this country and other people that want to live in this city. Uh, and we have a right to, to and, and I think a responsibility to make accommodation for them too. But you, you can't simply say, well, I got what I want, so to hell with everybody else. And that seems to be some people's attitudes. You know, growth is a good problem to have. We have the best and the brightest from around the entire world want to come here and live in Canada. And, and a lot of them want to come settle in uh, South Central Ontario. Um, but there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance when... Folks who already have a home, already have that slice of the Canadian dream, want to close the door behind them and, and not let young people or, or new immigrants um, achieve that Canadian dream. And um, home ownership really is the bastion of the middle class in terms of being able to have that nest egg and grow. 
um, versus being, you know, in, in somewhat more precarious positions of, of, of renting or living in mom and dad's basement until your mid thirties. Um, you know, we, we, we talked before about, you know, some of the difficult choices young people are having to make in terms of where they're going to live, um, how they're going to earn their income. And, um, you know, some people, a, a lot of people are leaving our big cities, um, and, and that's putting growth pressures elsewhere. Uh, some of the fastest growing places in Ontario are places like uh, Hagersville, like Shelburne, uh, like um, uh, Woodstock. You know, these were areas that were not necessarily planned for the level of growth that they're they're receiving. And it's it's almost this cascading effect outside of Toronto. You know, Torontonians move to, to Barrie, Oshawa, Hamilton, and then that causes displacement with the prices going up and, and Hamiltonians have to go to up the down the QEW to St. Catharines or up the 403 to, to Paris, Woodstock and beyond. And, um, you know, all, it's it's a ripple effect across the entire province. And we're getting growth and that's happening. I mean, I see that uh, when, when we take our trip up to, to Blue Mountain every now and then. Uh, and you mentioned Shelburne. I mean, that was a little tiny community for the longest time. Uh, basically a stoplight and, and a Tim Hortons. And, and that's it's booming now. Collingwood, the same way. There's new developments going on because people keep going. Uh, Tim Hudak from the, the, the Realtors Association, I used to say the, you know, the mantra there is drive till you can afford it. Uh, well, right now that seems to be New Brunswick. Uh, you know, they, we're going a long way from home here. Uh, do people? It's, it's understand- funny you say that. Some of the, you know, Halifax <laughs> is in an absolute building boom right now, yeah. and um, there are all kinds of pressure there. And most of the growth is people from the GTA in Hamilton that have, have given up and see that housing is a fraction of the cost. And you know, with the ability for remote work, um, a lot of people are keeping their their job. And, and moving elsewhere where the costs are much lower. And, um, you know, that's that's great for them if they want that lifestyle, but it is causing um, challenges for those communities. Um, and then people are living there, but not necessarily working there. Which is not that great for the economy, the local economies, as we found out in the past too. So there's so many extraneous things going on here too. And and as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, it's having an impact on, on, on immigration now. Uh, and, and there are some people suggesting maybe we need to close the doors. That would be an overreaction. Uh, you know, I juxtapose that with some stats can information that we got a couple of months ago. Now we're not having as many babies as we used to. We're not, you know, families are smaller and there's a real concern here, but will there be enough Canadians to fill the jobs, uh, that are already there and the ones that are going to be there in the future, uh, to build the EVs or all these other things. We need those immigration, uh, numbers to, to at least be static, if not to increase, but we got to put roofs over their heads right now. And I'm, I'm just hoping, uh, that there's a concerted effort by everybody and maybe a better understanding uh, I can tell you one thing that, that all politicians, I think, can do is work with the public and educate them as to what we're doing and why we're doing it. And you may not like it. Uh, I don't know how many times, if, Mike, if I had a buck for every time I had some residents saying, you know what, I don't want that thing there. You're going to build it anyway, and I'm not going to get you. You're never going to get my vote again. Uh, and it's going to ruin this. I'm not going to get any sunshine on my house. Yada, yada, yada. You've heard all the excuses. It's going to increase traffic and kids are going to be in danger. Well, the stuff gets built. Uh, and everybody lives happily ever after, but I don't know, I can't even count on one hand the number of times that people would call back in a year and say, you know what, you were right. I guess it's not that big a deal. So again, it comes down to saying, do what you need to do here, uh, because we can't keep talking about this. I know the numbers here in Ontario and in Quebec and in other provinces are very disappointing about new starts, 
I hope that this is going to be the year that we're simply going to say, look it, let's just get this done. And and to your point, uh, this that does not mean you throw all the rules out and everything is just built in an arbitrary fashion. It's never been that way and it never will be that way. Uh, but I think we really have to put our, our pedal to the metal here and start moving on these. Are, are you optimistic that we can get that far? I'm caught, you know, I'm an optimistic guy, so I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I think the first half of 2024, frankly, is going to be challenging. Um, there's a lot of volatility in the market with high interest rates and inflation. Um, and and look, it's it's not just the consumer or the home buyer that's got to uh, take out that mortgage at, at 5%. Um, when a builder or developer is building a tower that might be a couple hundred million dollars, uh, they can't get a loan at 5%. Uh, these are high-risk projects. Uh, so even the Schedule A banks to a well-reputable builder, that construction loan is going to be more in the 8 or 9% range. If they've got to go to a secondary lender, you're looking at 10 11%. And these projects are not done in a year. They take multiple years. So there are incredible cost pressures um, with the high interest rate environments. Um but you know we're we're hopefully going to see some downward pressure on that in the second half of 2024. So if I had a crystal ball, I'd say that the the first half of the coming year we're we're going to continue to have challenges in the housing sector, and the hope is that things start turning around in the second half of next year. Um, we get more shovels in the ground, the affordability improves, uh, and interest rates are a little bit lower. Well, uh, this is the first of many conversations I'm sure that we're going to have about this in the in the coming months uh, as we move forward on this and see how governments do respond to it. Uh, Mike, it was great to hook up with you again. Thank you so much for the time today. And uh, we're going to stay in touch as this uh, develops, and uh, hopefully at a, the pace at which we'd like to see it happen. But uh, take care, and we'll talk again soon. Sounds great. Thank you for having me. Mike Collins-Williams, who is the CEO of the uh, West End Home Builders Association. And that's the way we see it. That's it for today's edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. You can find us, of course, wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, take care. Bill Kelly Podcast brought to you by Wizens Law, personal injury lawyers. Listen, you didn't choose to get injured, but you can choose the right lawyer. Wizens Law, 905-522-1102 or wizenslaw.com.